the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. Happy Lent, everybody. It is Lent. It's the season of Lent. Um... Mardi Gras happened. I, I can't even. What happened yep. last week? Was it? It wasn't Lent last week. Uh, Ash Wednesday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we record on Tuesday. That means that was Mardi Gras. Right. Did you have a good Mardi Gras day. I did. I had fun in the city with my friend Matt. Midday, Kyber Pass, brought back some beignets. Right. Brought back some beignets, and then for some reason the responsibility of hosting a fast tu- fat tuesday feast for all of the liberty pastors falls upon me <laughs> so you, it was I'm a sure good amount right. of work but it was a lot of fun having there were a lot of pastors at our house. i know we came back i took the kids out for dinner with a at a chinese place that has a robot oh yeah a robot waiter although the it, that robot waiter did not actually serve us but i it was great <laughs> the future is now marvin the paranoid android is serving us chinese food yeah but our girls kind of trounced through and like when they got upstairs they were like that was a lot of beards <laughs> <laughs> a lot of beards yeah i'm one of the few that that, that does not have a beard why is that it, i am talking to that reason <laughs> right now um, okay, well, Mardi Gras aside, now it is the season of Lent, which I have come to appreciate as a as a season of reflection. So, oh, my my low oh, church stop, spouse stop, stop, stop. coming around to. <laughs> Do you have a sales pitch for Lent for anyone who is who might not who might be listening but hasn't been practicing? We can. I would refer people to Matt Harmon and I did a Facebook Live event last year talking about the relationship of Lent to our specific church and theological tradition. I commend that once again. Are you going to put it in the show notes? In have show notes? Oh my goodness. <laughs> One of these days. I, 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 like the, I like the liturgical calendar in the church, and this does relate to something I was talking about in the sermon. If, if we're now people where we don't think long term and there's just the gratification impulse, what's going on right now? either when we think we're doing horribly or we're doing awesome, it's just that now, now, now impulse. The liturgical calendar of the church brings us out of the tyranny of our urgent reality and instead puts us in a different kind of time. Hmm. Speaking of now, yes, I actually need to get going. So let's start with Call the Stormy Monday. <laughs> yeah. the, the irony are, of the Are you reading my blog post at all? Like, that, uh, wasn't that oh, going to be Oh, was I thing? supposed to ask, you want me to ask you? Well, how yeah. is your blog, what, that, that blog post you wrote was so intriguing. <laughs> you need to tell I me more. I actually talked about Mardi Gras <laughs> in last week's blog post. We'll see what, we'll see what comes out this week. But I, I feel like I'm in a good groove with the blog right now. So okay. let's try to... Get, Let's get back to Maybe if Colin Wolves um, reads the blog and has a question for Jim, but I, or, or at least texts me and reminds me to read the blog so I can have I a question I am not going to text and remind you. Not you, Helen Wolf. Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry I jumped on um, that. We'll see. Call it Stormy Monday. Yes. What sermon were we on? We were on, oh, more fun with Lot. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lot and his daughters. Yeah, the I I don't know if it made the clip for the sermon recording, but I thought my joke was really funny before the sermon reading. Did do you ever did you think your jokes it? are not funny? <laughs> well, to ask the question is to know the answer to to that one. Okay, so what what the, joke did I, you tell? I, right before the sermon reading, I said for those of you that were kind of burned out by last week's Sodom and Gomorrah passage, thinking the passage was weird and disturbing, and just want more wholesome material from the Bible. Our sermon text is yeah. Genesis 19:30-38, the story of Lot and his daughters. Here we also go. Also not wholesome. Um, yeah, you like a challenge. I guess you you could have addressed the challenge by just like throwing it all in one sermon if you if you really really just wanted to get it over with, but you don't. Yeah. You want to sit in yeah. this for a while. That's right. Um, tell us about what you were burdened to to do with this second hard passage. Yeah, I hopefully I treated hopefully I didn't gloss over some of the difficulties in the passage, but the focus mostly was this is the last word on Lot, the end of his life, and got me to thinking about long term, which might be a function of my age. There's another there's another birthday coming up. I at my annual physical last week the doctor told me hey since you're since you're 45 now we need to think about a colonoscopy and I said well I uh, I think I turned 45 uh, next month and he looked at my charts and he said no you're you're already 45 (laughs) (laughs) so I, I lost a year somewhere the you know midlife midlife crisis thinking about different milestones and we celebrated our 27th dating anniversary last last week as well I have to tabulate a lot of years and also we're continuing to, to experience our oldest child being his first year of college at the same place that we went so there's memories upon memories there I'm I'm just getting nostalgic looking back thinking long term and the the other thing I'll say here is one of the things that I talk about with other pastors and this relates to the long-term thinking idea too. When when I was a pastor in my twenties, I knew plenty of pastors that were in their fifties and sixties that were pretty burned out, cynical, just uh, in CTC mode, cutting the check. And for the most part, they I, I think they're still believing in Jesus. But but the the joy and the passion for ministry had had curdled pretty substantially. Mm-hmm. When I was in my twenties, I remember thinking. I can't believe that anybody would do that as a pastor and that's definitely not going to be me. But now at 45, I can see how, oh, there are lots of little decisions along the way that can definitely contribute, including for me to becoming a pretty cynical and not very good pastor Mm. in my fifties and sixties. And I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. That's good. So you have, I mean, you have safeguards around it just in, in being aware of it, I think. Or yeah. No, that's <laughs> no, true. Knowing is half the battle. And because of those safeguards, you're right. I don't need to worry about it at all. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Permission received. Um, okay. Well, that was the, that's the context of this sermon. Why this, why this sermon you're in, you're in the season going through Genesis. Yep. Tell us more about this specific passage. Lot is ending and if if this is the code or the last word on lot the basic question from this passage at least at some level is how is lot being portrayed here and i mentioned 
during the sermon, as he is sexually assaulted by his own daughters, uh, it's stressed at two different verses, verse 33 and verse 35, that Lot had no idea what was going on. Mm -hmm. And the key interpretive question was, is Lot seen finally in an innocent light where this is something is happening to him that's not his fault? Or is he, is this just another episode of him being a dupe and somebody that, that we're not supposed to admire? I took that latter interpretation, including the fact that it's set up that Lot is living as a recluse in a cave in a place that he initially carped to the rescuing angels that he didn't want to live in the first place so mm -hmm. he's he's living in fear in a cave with his daughters and so yeah it's sort of the one of those like a documentary about an old celebrity or a formerly famous athlete later in life when they're just kind of broken down and sad mm -hmm. that's sort of the lens through which i suppose i think we're supposed to view lot in this passage right right i see that <coughs> excuse me um and I know this is jumping ahead in some ways to yep. the to your bar band cover tunes, but yes. it was kind of important to your frame to like have this Arrested Development <laughs> frame. Yeah, um, I have made a huge mistake. Right. So I actually thought you're also a fan of Arrest of the first three seasons. Not as much as people well, I, in our I, household. I, I thought I had you there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I watched it. <laughs> It takes a lot to get me to watch something, so if I watch it completely, which I did, that means yeah. I liked it. True. And I, I didn't even try to get you on the later seasons of the Netflix revival. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother. Yep. I also did not watch it for your sake. Like, I just happened upon it in my own that's time. rude um, <laughs> what you know, I did not watch this for you. I thought that you. was interesting in terms of um, how you were unpacking how to how to address um, this passage? You, you found a frame, and maybe this is muddying the waters, but who who knows at this point? You're the host. Category blends, but the frame of um, using something funny to illustrate something dramatic. <laughs> it took a turn. I mean, there were a lot of layers. I don't know how many people like the. You're even you're criticizing at the very beginning. The like callback in dramas, right? But you're using comedy to like as a callback, yeah. Um, in your own sermon, which just, in the, the sermon the really degree is of difficulty more was like off a the charts. You're right. <laughs> I mean, you just like callbacks in general. So I also don't think you really don't like the callback in drama. We'll we'll get to that in <laughs> guitar slim pickings. I, I did want to talk callbacks for a but second. But anyway, I did think it was helpful with a passage like this where you're two weeks in a row dealing with or helping an audience through a difficult passage mm -hmm. to like set have the framework be a kind of um like uh what's the word i'm looking for the kind of comedy that arrested development is like dark, a slapstick or dark, dark comedy more like dark comedy dark sure um narcissistic all of that yep um to use that as a framework to help us get into the mental space of this passage, I think. Yeah. I don't know. So from a rhetorical perspective, it was a little bit of a gamble taking a joke and then turning it in a serious direction. Uh-huh. As far as the classical categories of rhetoric, um, so Aristotle would talk about logos, pathos, and ethos. Logos, uh -huh. it, when you're communicating, 
is the, the the logical aspect pathos is the emotional aspect and ethos is harder to define but ethos plays on the credibility of the communicator and if you don't have ethos as a, enough ethos in a given rhetorical situation as a communicator what you're trying to get across by way of logos and pathos just doesn't work at all. So it was a it was a bet on ethos yeah. that people would stay with me from because there is an emotional gap that needs to be jumped from the comedy to the to the pathos aspect. But hopefully it wasn't just a gag for a laugh, uh-huh. but it it, it it was an on-ramp to getting people to think more seriously about the mistakes that we make in our own lives. And it would have felt like jumping into the deep end of a cold swimming pool too much, simply for me to start with, haven't we made mistakes? Haven't we all right, tried so. to sexually abuse our fathers? <laughs> Like it is so dark. It's such that's I guess that's why I'm blending these three sections because the yeah. Bible passage is so dark. It is dark. I mean that's why that your use usage of this arrested development frame mm-hmm. I've made a huge mistake is like really helpful to enter the passage. <laughs> otherwise like otherwise you're stuck in something really dark, right? Yeah, just just the amount of tasteless jokes I could be making right now. Keep going. <laughs> I also think it's like it, it's just interesting, and yes, I'm I'm gonna fully fully blend to muddying the waters. Uh, um, okay. In terms of context, like does does this? I, I'm curious. Like, does the Liberty Collingswood congregation appreciate that? And I, I mean, like I appreciate do personally, like what? that context driving of like arrested development oh. t- towards this like very heinous, terrible crime. Yep. Um and situation lots whole life mm-hmm. like i like i think it was a really great framework and then in the evening i actually went to the evening service for epiphany gloucester yep um joe marlin the pastor there was preaching a ve- another very difficult text to a much different audience and like the strategies he was using yeah were, were definitely different and i don't think an arrested development strategy would work in their congregation so i'm just i'm curious it's just interesting it is funny. So Joe Marlin and I are good friends. We've known each other for 20, 25 years at this point. Gloucester City and Epiphany Gloucester Church is only about 10 minutes from Collingswood, yeah. but it is completely different, different worlds and different rhetorical situations right. as, as a result. Yeah, and rhetorically, and just Helen Wolf, so, so you know, there there's a bad rhetoric where you're a huckster or you're a snake oil salesman, but but there's also I think a good healthy awareness of rhetoric when it comes to uh, sermons that you want to use what you've got for uh, bringing people into the world of the Bible and the world of of Jesus. I took all of the available speech classes in college. Speaking of speaking of that, and so I I did want to get the pitch of this passage correct, mm-hmm. where this is a very dark and heinous perpetration uh, upon Lot from the daughters. I didn't want to get, so what I was, the Skillas and Charybdi to avoid were, did, didn't want to get super, super dark and just let people stay there. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to tri- trivialize, on the other hand, this action, and also I didn't want to sensationalize it. Which, right. which which could be done as as well. So trying to avoid those things, to treat with proper seriousness 
what's going on in this passage without being capsized by it at the right. same time. Okay, so now, like, we have kind of discussed that context that sure. you're trying to engage. Now, going back, was there anything else you wanted to say about this passage as you approached it? <sighs> Two other things, and the one is wanting to speak, and it's always hard in a sermon, like, there are some sermons that are either way too long or way too boring that just spend a ton of time with interpretive questions and never actually go anywhere as far as practical payoff. But it is very important to me for this passage, the lack of explicit comment by God about what's what's going mm -hmm. on. And I tried to articulate the twin realities where should should we do what Lot's daughters did to Lot? No, mm -hmm. this, this, this is not behavior to emulate. And of course, base level, this is a this is sin. It, it's a sinful act. But then there is that little bit of space where, to me, pretty strikingly, and commentators will say the same thing, the fact that there's no direct negative comment uh -huh. and that there is positive consequences as opposed right. to negative consequences. These right. are the birth of two peoples that God later protects. There is, that's an interesting layer that allowed me to say, as we think long-term, God brings good out of our own evil, which mm -hmm. was one of the main, the, the main through lines of the sermon in the context right. of our having made huge mistakes. I can't get there from this passage if, as an interpreter, I thought that God hates everything about this and there are only negative sure. consequences. Sure, and, and there was like a direct condemnation of the daughters and... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's interesting. I mean, it's it's subtle and one of the harder, harder things to kind of wrap your head around. But I, I mean, I think you did a good job of walking us through that. Yeah. And your second point? just talk, making a larger point about providence where mm. quoting the Heidelberg Catechism in the midst of our huge mistakes we can yet have hope there's that great verse Genesis 50 20 where Joseph tells his brothers you meant this for evil but God meant this for good mm -hmm. and then that that super striking to me passage from Peter's sermon in Acts this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men mm -hmm. so God's providential control of all things carries all the way through to the very center of the story, Christ crucified and resurrected. And yeah. if God uses that evil event for good, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of God, he can do similarly in our own lives. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, and that's why part of the, like, that construct that that of the rest of development, the, like, I have made a huge mistake, mm -hmm. and, like, the reality of the com the comedy of, like, we being in that spot, and then Christ taking our mistakes, yep. quote-unquote mistakes, um, actually pretty heinous sin yeah. um, upon him was a was an interesting or a good structure. Yeah. So one other thing with going back to Greek liter ancient Greek literature, there there's the whole uh, the two major genres in like Greek uh, Greek plays. There's either comedy or tragedy, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And or Shakespeare. or Shakespeare as well, right? So comedy or so so in a in a tragedy, things start low. Isn't there it's, also it, like the journey, like? Is there? Ed, like, uh, oh, did Shakespeare? Is there a third category? Well, yeah. His, his well, Oedipus is a tragedy. In Shakespeare, it's history. 
but I think. Oh yeah, his, well. Which is also tragedy, but like I, I don't know. In the categories, history is often comedy drama. In history, sure. Yeah. Okay, so with with tragedies, things start low, they get better. So it's it's like an upside down U, and then in the middle of the drama the tragedy you have hope that things are going to turn around and get a lot better but then they go downhill again and in a comedy it's the opposite where things start with a bang kind of funny it's like you know like a romantic comedy like a movie or something mm -hmm. things start funny and breezy there's a meet cute but then the couple gets together although it has problems but then they all live happily ever after and there's a there's a real sense in which because Jesus is crucified and resurrected and God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose mm -hmm. it becomes a comedy life is a comedy okay huh but not a dark comedy maybe it's still a dark comedy <laughs> <laughs> uh, with 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 some with some moments i i was talking with Micah our son this morning as I'm rewatching The Office again for the nth <laughs> time, now now with Clara, our our youngest, Micah said, "Yeah, I forgot how much cringe comedy is in The Office and yeah. how awkward it is." And I said, "Like that is my favorite kind of comedy." <laughs> Micah's like, "Sometimes I don't, I feel like I can't watch it." I'm like, "That's your problem, bro." <laughs> Muddy the waters. Here we go. Wait, I thought we were on far right cover tunes. <laughs> Well, just because you skip back. Okay, fine. What did, what else do you have in Mudding in the Waters? We're not good at long-term thinking. And that 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 was one of the points that I hit in in the middle of the sermon, whether because of hopelessness, pessimism, technology, mm. living living for the now, uh, never wanting to have our appetites curbed with anything. Although hopefully it was an interesting point to say that we all have our legalisms and licenses in every age. Right, the flipping. flipping from stomach to sex. Mm -hmm. And that yeah, was, so that was definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the food Nazis are coming for us. Although um, when you're going to be in South Philly today with Jesse, I hope you bring back something tasty and delectable. There's some nice vegan places in South Philly these days. Uh, <laughs> get 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 the behind me anyway but then also the if we're not good at long-term thinking we should weighing the consequences of our actions but hopefully not being ultimately destroyed by them because of the cross and understanding too that hey god is at work in our lives and in the world even when we don't see god so if you're a skeptic not seeing evidence of God in the world all the time, that, that's not a slam dunk argument against the reality of Christianity. And if you're a Christian, don't freak out if, if you don't see God. Like mm -hmm. we, we should press ahead into a self-awareness of the Holy Spirit in our lives and God's active providence. But if it's not fully evident all the time, God is still in control. God is not the genie that, or is it Tinkerbell? That, that depends upon our belief that that's the children Tinkerbell. that's Tinkerbell right so uh, Tinkerbell only exists according to the strength of the children's belief and faith that she's real we can think about God like that but that's not true mm -hmm. there is Francis Schaeffer was a Christian writer in the late 20th century one of his best-selling books was titled a great title the God who is there Mm -hmm. And that that's an operative category for the providence of God. 
and then finally here for this section um realizing the reality that in christ we can live in hopefulness while we're warned against sin and bad choices that god draws down our debt with grace mm -hmm. uh, when we when we make bad choices i mentioned um you remember cliff from mm -hmm. yeah, from, sure. from from lubbock praying that the lord would restore to him to us the years that the locust has eaten right um and so we don't have to be those beaten down cynical 50 and 60 year olds where there's just more damage accumulated over the years that eventually will destroy us yeah just um, having right there's yeah. a hope there's a hope of heaven instead and we do have a howling wolf that's going to address okay. some of those things too um i thought you were going to say the last point was don't be lot <laughs> <laughs> right so yeah and the that, uh, that so that too <laughs> yes don't 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 be lot which you know, skipping back category once again. I think that's the interpretive payoff. I, I think an incorrect interpretation of this story is don't be the daughters, uh -huh. although we shouldn't. The this is a pat. This is a story that wants us to think more and ultimately not about the daughters, but about Lot mm -hmm. and to contemplate our own lives as far as how we want to end. In contrast with Abraham, who dies well. In so, Genesis. in other words, like don't let your daughters date anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm not sure what jokes I can make. You can't make, <laughs> you can't make any of them. <laughs> okay, far band cover tunes. We addressed uh, Arrested Development. Mm -hmm. um, what else did you have? You so we had... Go sorry. Go, okay. We had Heidelberg Catechism Q&A number 27. It's a great... So not all theological standards are fun and winsome to read, but the Heidelberg Catechism Heidelberg. is certainly the front runner in that regard, including the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds, this is what providence is, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, mm -hmm. rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to us not by chance but by god's fatherly hand it's a good one nicely done to think about rotating every once in a while <laughs> going back to that yep and so i uh, mentioned bible passages deuteronomy and jeremiah talking about god's care for the ammonites and the moabites genesis 50 you meant this for evil god meant it for good acts 2 about the Christ being crucified according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Can't get more explicit than that about God's mm -hmm. control of all things, including the cross. And that passage from Joel, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, right. the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. Yeah, and, and, and then yeah. also I, I, I skipped it. I, I read my Atlantic magazine out of sequence so I could get that cover article of the March issue in before the sermon. <laughs> it, it, it pained me to do that, but we are already living in the metaverse. It was a good article. Kind of depressing. Midlife, more midlife crisis. I bet that, that author is in midlife crisis right now. It'll be fine. Metaverse will be fine. Uh, the author, I, I forget her name, but she was actually... She's in her 20s. Yeah, she's, she's young. <laughs> um, you also mentioned the um, Ash Wednesday line that... Um, 
You and Eric. Just, or I guess from dust even, you yeah. are, from dust you shall return. Mm -hmm. Mourn your sins that cost Jesus his life. Repent and believe the gospel. Yeah, I think that's an, it is like a pretty, um, yeah, the, the, the method of distributing ashes and thinking about the, that phraseology. I think it helps um, yeah. in the spirit of Lent. Also, it's a funny feeling as a pastor imposing ashes upon one's spouse and one's daughter. The daughter who, like, then says, I love you, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After I told, imposed the ashes, more, <laughs> repent and believe the gospel, she's like, Dad, I love you, and blew me a kiss. <laughs> what a heartbreaker. Best. She's the best. Um, okay, references, moving on, guitar slim pickings, any leftovers? You said there was one. The, in the heat of the moment, I cut out a French philosopher named Luke Ferry that said, everyone seeks some way to face life with confidence and death without fear and regret. But I figured that was, we don't need a philosopher, French philosopher to tell us that. <laughs> go back, go back to France, Luke Ferry. <laughs> Gonna eat some freedom fries. Let's just over stick here. with the rest of development. Some liberty steaks. Um, actually, I do have a, a the quotes going back to Barbie and Cover Junes. Clara, Clara mentioned after you said life, the universe, and everything. She whispered, "It's been a while since he said that." Oh. Um, it is interesting how like you have the this like little book of phrases like you like to repeat that that really are driven by your own. I mean, that has a direct reference. Um. Yeah. to Hitchhiker's Guide, but a lot of your phrases like are just phrases that you like you've threaded through um, your sermons. My communication ministry is a shared universe. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's just exploded. Okay, so next time Clara whispers that to me, I'll say, "Dad's communication universe is a shared." Wait, Dad's communication, communication strategy ministry ministry is a shared, is a shared universe. universe. Totally. Um, what are we doing here if it's not inspired? What's your, I did want to ask you before we get to our Helen Wolves, what, do you like callbacks? Yes. I mean, okay. I, I, that the thing about you criticizing, like, the callback mm -hmm. is that it's, like, embedded in, like, it's embedded in classical literature, novels, poems. Like, yeah. That's just, like, what people do when they're being literary. So I, I think it's kind of silly for you to knock the dramatic ones. You're just saying you don't like bad callbacks. Correct. It's <laughs> so callbacks have a long and august history in all kinds and the Bible of art has and literature. I think over the past few years, there's been an uptick in callbacks in TV and movies, where they're being way overused, and okay, it's a drama substitute. Old man. It's a drama substitute as opposed to real dramatic impact. There have always been bad movies. writers. Be better. There have always been bad TV shows. You're just forgetting those. So, like, it's just bad writing. But right. the callback has been since ancient times, since Oedipus. And so, so you're saying, Jim, are you asking me if I no, disapprove of like, bad writing? It's just like, yeah. when, yes. So it's a, it's like, a solipsistic it's when question. Like, claims that America's worse than it ever has been before. I'm just like, have you, like, do you remember Nazis? <laughs> I don't know. You're all right. Um, humanity is bad. It's just bad. All of it is bad. Helen Wolf time. <laughs> we have two of them. Uh, one from Helen Wolf Tony, and I'm going to be recording a Five Golden Things podcast Ooh, this week with part Tony, two. part two of our big 
book discussion. You can discuss callbacks in those big books. Podcast people, thought came to my mind while listening to Jim's sermon this past Sunday. Might another lesson from Lot's daughters tricking him and engaging him incestually with Lot be this? One of the first things we learn as parents is that more is taught than caught. In our household, we think of the idea that we are creating the world for our daughter, especially early on. If Lot was behaving, even if just behaving slothfully, sinfully, his daughters will also catch this. It is almost like Lot is too easily distracted, too easily led astray. The daughters giving him wine could also be a metaphor, metaphor for broader intoxication. Being led into a mind space that is too accepting of every possibility or being led into a mind space that is allowing the numbing of the mm. pain and loss. Right. Either form of intoxication is seeing reality as clearly as it needs to be seen, especially in a time of calamity, loss, and instability. Lot's problem may be in part an inability or unwillingness to face reality. His daughters then, by his lesson, arrive at a perversion of that reality and choose to easily intoxicate and seduce him as he is a man who is easily intoxicated and seduced. Does this make any sense? Are we really open to this kind of corruption because of our unwillingness to face reality? I for like sure, it. For sure. That's, that is a definitely a, a something that really resonates as, as possible for like how our cultural, like the level of like, like intoxication based on like your whole framework of mindset. Yeah. Um, can, how that can happen. So that's super interesting. Yeah. Uh, another article I read recently was a review article of White Noise, the 1980s Don DeLillo novel that's been made into, I think, a Netflix movie recently. And the title of the article is something like, oh, White Noise Used to Be Satire, but but mm. but now it's true. So yeah, I, I think it's very, it's, it's intriguing to me to read this story about Lot in the cave as he's white-noised out or potentially mm-hmm. numbed, to, numbed out. To something that really is heinous, yeah. And that yeah. his daughters are also, because of like his his actions and his creating the space yeah. that Tony's talking about. Right. Yeah, so I, I appreciated that. Thank you, Tony. And Em, you're watching Succession fast right now to to prepare us for the for the new season of of people rich people behaving badly Uh one of the interpretive questions that was not worth talking about in the sermon but it's like i guess if you're a bible commentator you have to say something about it if they're living in a cave where did the daughters get the wine and it, it 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 made me think of the the toilet wine soliloquy oh my gosh when you can make wine in the toilet so maybe, maybe it was toilet wine from okay. from the daughters Sorry. also we have howlin' wolf yvonne thank you for writing in once again yvonne hey jim and emily two things first was about god not being overly present in the story it leaves room for speculation but it's interesting how people uh, non-believers, believers alike might respond to it as a signal that God doesn't care about what's happening. But there are other stories where God is seemingly absent. The story of Ruth and the story of Esther. And it's easier to say that God was present because Ruth and Esther are in sharp contrast to the two daughters of Lot. But in their devotion to the Lord and in their devotion in their family, I appreciate you bringing in Joseph's quote here and thinking about this, that what the brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah, and thanks for saying that, Yvonne. I, at one point I did think about referencing either Ruth or Esther hmm. in connection with this story. Mm-hmm. So for the same reason. Great minds think alike of on yeah. and and yeah, especially Esther famously God, God is God is 
barely mentioned in that whole big story, but the implication is that not only are Esther and uh, Mordecai behaving faithfully, but God is being faithful in the midst of these circumstances right. too. Two also, observant writers, boom. Yeah, I know. Something you said at the end that I just loved, that the things we remember now and regret and become filled with shame, we will in eternity eternity still remember but not be filled with shame. One of the books I'm reading from my counselor of training echoes that our stories skew toward the things we regret and feel shame over. The point of identifying that way and feeding pathologies, depression, anxiety, dysphoria, etc. But the question is posed, what would life be like if we could still acknowledge those things with regret and feel shame over but instead of hang our life narratives and our identities on these things in view of the good things that have happened. I imagine it could look imperfectly like a glimpse of what you described. So viewing our lives, not through the prism of pain, but through the lens of God's blessing upon us. And that's what heaven will be. Good thoughts. Really sharp Howlin' Wolves this week. Um, Keep keep them coming. Postsundayblues at gmail.com. Really helpful um, to have some, some deeper thoughts or some, yeah. Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy. That's an <laughs> SNL skit that you have no idea about. <laughs> I love SNL. <laughs> Especially um, 80s SNL. Okay. Well, with that, you, you, do you have any Lenten announcements? Go Lent! <laughs> oh, well, sorry. No, I, uh, Howlin' Wolf Scott is kicking off his Theology 101 class soon, okay. which is like a specific... Lenten offering of theological enrichment and Omari and Angela are leading Thursday prayer meetings. I'd have to check my schedule. Is this the week that those are starting? I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. But be on the lookout (laughs) for those offerings coming down the pike. They're going to be great. I want another (laughs) closing line, so come up with one right now. No, I like our closing line. How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Happy.